Chapter Twenty Four of Great Expectations by Charles Dickens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. After two or three days, when I had established myself in my room and had gone backwards and forwards to London several times, and I had ordered all I wanted of my tradesmen, Mr. Pocket and I had a long talk together. He knew more of my intended career than I knew myself for he referred to his having been told by Mr. Jaggers that I was not designed for any profession, and that I should be well enough educated for my destiny if I could hold my own with the average of young men in prosperous circumstances. I acquiesced, of course, knowing nothing to the contrary. He advised my attending certain places in London for the acquisition of such mere rudiments as I wanted, and my investing him with the functions of explainer and director of all my studies. He hoped that with intelligent assistance I should meet with little to discourage me, and should soon be able to dispense with any aid but his. Through his way of saying this, and much more to similar purpose, he placed himself on confidential terms with me in an admirable manner, and I may state at once that he was always so zealous and honourable in fulfilling his compact with me, that he made me zealous and honourable in fulfilling mine with him. If he had shown indifference as a master, I have no doubt I should have returned the compliment as a pupil. He gave me no such excuse, and each of us did the other justice. Nor did I ever regard him as having anything ludicrous about him, or anything but what was serious, honest, and good in his tutor communication with me. When these points were settled, and so far carried out as that I had begun to work in earnest, it occurred to me that if I could retain my bedroom in Barnard's Inn, my life would be agreeably varied, while my manners would be none the worse for Herbert's society. Mr. Pocket did not object to this arrangement, but urged that before any step could possibly be taken in it, it must be submitted to my guardian. I felt that this delicacy arose out of the consideration that the plan would save Herbert some expense, so I went off to Little Britain and imparted my wish to Mr. Jaggers. If I could buy the furniture now hired for me, said I, and one or two other little things, I should be quite at home there. Go it, said Mr. Jaggers, with a short laugh. I told you you'd get on well. How much do you want? I said I didn't know how much. Come, retorted Mr. Jaggers. How much? Fifty pounds? Oh, not nearly so much. Five pounds, said Mr. Jaggers. This was such a great fall that I said in discomfiture, oh, more than that. "'More than that, eh?' retorted Mr. Jaggers, lying in wait for me, with his hands in his pockets, his head on one side, and his eyes on the wall behind me. "'How much more?' "'Well, it's so difficult to fix a sum,' said I, hesitating. "'Come,' said Mr. Jaggers, "'let's get at it. Twice five, will that do? Three times five, will that do? Four times five, will that do?' "'I said I thought that would do handsomely. Four times five will do handsomely, will it?' said Mr. Jaggers, knitting his brows. Now what do you make of four times five? What do I make of it? Ah, said Mr. Jaggers, how much? I suppose you make it twenty pounds, said I, smiling. Never mind what I make it, my friend, observed Mr. Jaggers, with a knowing and contradictory toss of his head. I want to know what you make it. Twenty pounds, of course. Wemmick, said Mr. Jaggers, opening his office door, take Mr. Pip's written order and pay him twenty pounds. This strongly marked way of doing business made a strongly marked impression on me, and that not of an agreeable kind. Mr. Jaggers never laughed, but he wore great bright creaking boots, 
and in poising himself on these boots with his large head bent down and his eyebrows joined together awaiting an answer he sometimes caused the boots to creak as if they laughed in a dry and suspicious way and as he happened to go out now and as wemmick was brisk and talkative i said to wemmick that i hardly knew what to make of mr jaggers manner tell him that and he'll take it as a compliment answered wemmick he don't mean that you should know what to make of it oh for i look surprised it's not personal it's professional only professional wemmick was at his desk lunching and crunching on a dry hard biscuit pieces of which he threw from time to time into his slit of a mouth as if he were posting them always seems to me said wemmick as if he had set a man-trap and was watching it suddenly click you're caught without remarking that man-traps were not among the amenities of life i said i supposed he was very skilful deep said wemmick as australia pointing with his pen at the office floor to express that australia was understood for the purpose of the figure to be symmetrically on the opposite spot of the globe if there was anything deeper added wemmick bringing his pen to paper he'd be it then i said i supposed he had a fine business and wemmick said capital and then i asked if there were many clerks to which he replied we don't run much to clerks because there's only one jaggers and people won't have him as second hand there are only four of us would you like to see em you are one of us as i may say i accepted the offer when mr wemmick had put all the biscuit into the post and he had paid me my money from a cash-box in a safe the key of which safe he kept somewhere down his back and produced from his coat collar like an iron pigtail we went upstairs the house was dark and shabby and the greasy shoulders that had left their mark in mr jaggers room seemed to have been shuffling up and down the staircase for years in the front first floor a clerk who looked something between a publican and a rat-catcher a large pale puff swollen man was attentively engaged with three or four people of shabby appearance whom he treated as unceremoniously as everybody seemed to be treated who contributed to mr jaggers coffers getting evidence together said mr wemmick as we came out for the bailey in the room over that a little flabby terrier of a clerk with dangling hair his cropping seemed to have been forgotten when he was a puppy was similarly engaged with a man with weak eyes whom mr wemmick presented to me as a smelter who kept his pot always boiling and who would melt me anything i pleased and who was in an excessive white perspiration as if he had been trying his art on himself in a back room a high-shouldered man with a face-ache tied up in a dirty flannel who was dressed in old black clothes that bore the appearance of having been waxed was stooping over his work of making fair copies of the notes of the other two gentlemen for mr jaggers own use this was all the establishment when we went downstairs again wemmick led me into my guardian's room and said this you've seen already pray said i as the two odious casts with a twitchy leer upon them caught my sight again whose likenesses are those these said wemmick getting upon a chair and blowing the dust off the horrible heads before bringing them down these are two celebrated ones famous clients of ours that got us a world of credit this chap why you must have come down in the night and been peeping into the inkstand to get this blot upon your eyebell you old rascal murdered his master and considering that he wasn't brought up to evidence didn't plan it badly is it like him i asked recalling from the brute as wemmick spat upon his eyebrow and gave it a rub with his sleeve 
like him it's himself you know the cast was made in newgate directly after he was taken down you had a particular fancy for me hadn't you old artful said wemmick he then explained this affectionate apostrophe by touching his brooch representing the lady and the weeping willow at the tomb with the urn upon it and saying had it made for me express is the lady anybody said i no returned wemmick only his game you liked your bit of game didn't you no deuce a bit of a lady in the case mr pickt except one and she wasn't of this slender ladylike sort and you wouldn't have caught her looking after this urn unless there was something to drink in it wemmick's attention thus directed to his brooch and he put down the cast and polished the brooch with his pocket-handkerchief did that other creature come to the same end i asked he has the same look you're right said wemmick it's the genuine look much as if one nostril was caught up with horsehair and a little fish-hook yes he came to the same end quite the natural end here i assure you he forged wills this blade did if he didn't also put the supposed testators to sleep too you were a gentlemanly cove though mr wemmick was again apostrophizing and you said you could write greek yeah bounceable what a liar you were i never met such a liar as you before putting his late friend on the shelf again wemmick touched the largest of his mourning rings and said sent out to buy it for me only the day before while he was putting up the other cast and coming down from the chair the thought crossed my mind that all his personal jewellery was derived from like sources and as he had shown no diffidence on the subject i ventured on the liberty of asking him the question when he stood before me dusting his hands oh yes he returned these are all gifts of that kind one brings another you see that's the way of it i always take them their curiosities and their property they may not be worth much but after all they're property and portable it don't signify to you with your brilliant lookout but as to myself my guiding star always is get hold of portable property when i had rendered homage to this light he went on to say in a friendly manner if at any odd time when you have nothing better to do you wouldn't mind coming over to see me at walworth i could offer you a bed and i should consider it an honour i've not much to show you but such two or three curiosities as i have got you might like to look over and i am fond of a bit of garden and a summer-house i said i should be delighted to accept his hospitality thank ye said he then we'll consider that it's to come off when convenient to you have you dined with mr jaggers yet not yet well said wemmick he'll give you wine and good wine i'll give you punch and not bad punch and now i'll tell you something when you go to dine with mr jaggers look at his housekeeper shall i see something very uncommon well said wemmick you'll see a wild beast tamed not so very uncommon you tell me i reply that depends on the wildness of the beast and the amount of taming it won't lower your opinion of mr jaggers powers keep your eye on it i told him i would do so with all the interest and curiosity that his preparation awakened as i was taking my departure he asked me if i would like to devote five minutes to seeing mr jaggers at it for several reasons and not least because i didn't clearly know what mr jaggers would be found at i replied in the affirmative we dived into the city and came up in a crowded police court where a blood relation in a murderous sense of the deceased with the fanciful taste in brooches was standing at the bar uncomfortably chewing something while my guardian had a woman under examination or cross-examination i don't know which and was striking her and the bench and everybody present with awe if anybody of whatsoever degree said a word that he didn't approve of he instantly required to have it taken down 
If anybody wouldn't make an admission, he said, I'll have it out of you. And if anybody made an admission, he said, Now I've got you. The magistrate shivered under a single bite of his finger. Thieves and thief-takers hung in dread rapture on his words, and shrank when a hair of his eyebrows turned in their direction. Which side he was on I couldn't make out, for he seemed to me to be grinding the whole place in a mill. I only know that when I stole out on tiptoe he was not on the side of the bench, for he was making the legs of the old gentleman who presided quite convulsive under the table, by his denunciations of his conduct as the representative of British law and justice in that chair that day. End of chapter 24